0: of Fat Girl Book Club. For this episode, we read the book 13 Ways of Looking at a Fat Girl by Mona Awad. I have a great guest for you. I am really looking forward to you listening to this episode because there's some really cool things in it. I just wanted to first mention that in the last episode, I talked about how I'm trying to set some boundaries in terms of my output, really, Uh, (laughs) I am trying to start a new business. I have two part-time jobs. I am working on this, which is really, really my baby. I love, I love this podcast, but it can be a lot. And so I am trying to start to kind of move away from some of the things that I was doing that were uh, maybe not the best things for my self-care. So, so, uh, you can find me at fat girl book club pod on Instagram, and that is where you're going to find anything that I am offering uh, at all. So that includes my freebie, the, your better body image checklist, which is kind of a starting point for any body image work that you'd like to do. Uh, please do look that up. Uh, I've also got on there, my Patreon page. So I have, what I think is kind of a cool Patreon page. (laughs) I mean, I'm a little biased. I'm not going to lie. But I do at least one extra episode a month on there, if not two. I always plan for two. It just depends on what's kind of going on for me. Uh, And I will mention this now. Uh, What's really exciting is that this episode that I did with my guest went really long, like two hours long. Uh, And the way that we kind of, as the interview progressed, what we ended up doing when we talked about this book was we ended up taking it chapter by chapter. And I'll I'll talk about why we did that in a minute. So all the stuff that was kind of in between us uh, talking about a bit about her story and then moving into going, taking it chapter by chapter, I kind of had to cut just because That makes the episode extremely long. So I I took and put that clip, and it's a really important clip. We talk more about taking up space within body liberation circles and about the most vulnerable parts of this story for Serena. Uh, Just so important. Unfortunately, I had to move most of that over into Patreon. So there is an extra episode right now on Patreon. Uh, so if you want to hear more from my guest, please do check that out. I also do really cool printables every month. So this is something that you can print out and work on. So it could be, I've done some really kind of cool reading ones. Uh, the latest was a body acceptance book bingo card. So it takes you through some interesting challenges of reading this book and reading that type of book. So that's kind of fun. And then, uh, I also, I interspersed that with ones about body liberation. So it could be a journaling exercise. It could be, I did a boundaries, uh, workbook that's in there. So there's some, some good information, uh, starting to accumulate in that Patreon group. Every single tier with my Patreon gets a shout out every single episode. I can't remember if I did this last episode or not. I was struggling to remember if I did and I was like, oh crap, if I didn't. So if I didn't, I apologize and I am giving a double thank you out to my Patreon supporters. Thank you to Pascal, to Amy, to Ace, and to Jenny. I could not do this without you. Okay, so a couple of things about this episode, real quick kind of housekeeping things is that My mic still isn't right. I can't quite figure out exactly what's wrong. It still didn't sound quite right to me when I did the listen through for the show notes. So I apologize again that there seems to still be some lingering microphone issues. I will get to the bottom of this. I also want to say that the structure of this interview is a little different than past interviews. Uh, This book, 13 Ways of Looking at a Fat Girl is a fictional book that is made up of 13 short stories done in chronological order about a girl's really relationship to her body, but also the ways that other people look at her body. And so as we move through the book in terms of her body, she starts off as a quote unquote fat girl Uh, And then we get into kind of the mid part of the book where she uh, starts to diet and loses a lot of weight. And then we kind of get closer to the end of the book where she's starting to question, uh, question a lot of what, what she's been going through. And so because that was the structure of the book, what my guest and I did was we actually read, we actually discussed every single chapter. So that's kind of a different way of doing this. And so, you know, it's, I think it's really interesting. The other really interesting thing about this book is that my guest and I had completely different experiences with this book. I read this book for the first time when I was in the throes of my disordered eating behaviors. And this book was really triggering for me because it reinforced the idea that I needed to keep these disordered eating behaviors up Uh, in order to ensure that people didn't look at me in a negative way and then when I read it this time I saw things completely differently I, I also saw how I could get that perception but I also saw by the end that there was some movement towards recognizing that some of the things that she was doing were not beneficial or helpful to her and that gave me some hope so for me, that was kind of where I was at with this book. But my guest, Serena, had a completely different experience. So we kind of push back on one another uh, in terms of what we saw. And so I think that that's why this makes this such an interesting discussion around this book. Uh, I think it's just, it's really fun. I think it's really fun. And I hope that you find it fun, too. Uh, let me tell you, or let me read you, I guess, the description of the book, uh, from the back of the book, cause I have it right here handy. Actually, let me just start by saying that there's a trigger warning for this episode. This book talks a lot about disordered behaviors. Uh, so I really don't recommend that if you are triggered by, uh, disordered eating, disordered exercising, uh, eating disorder talk, then this is definitely not a good episode for you to listen to. And I would recommend you skip it. So please take care of yourself and do what you need to do in order to feel safe. Okay. So now, sorry, with that, I'm going to read the back of this book. Uh, these trigger warnings apply, especially to this back of this book I am now reading. Growing up in the suburban hell of Misery Saga, aka Mississauga, Lizzie has never liked the way she looks, even though her best friend Mel says she's the pretty one. She starts dating guys online, but she's afraid to send pictures. She knows no one would want her if they could really see her, so she starts to lose. She counts almonds consumed, miles logged, pounds dropped, She grows up and gets thin, navigating double-edged validation from her mother, her friends, her husband, her reflection in the mirror. But no matter how much she loses, will she ever see herself as anything other than a fat girl? In her brilliant, hilarious at times, shocking debut, Mona Awad skewers our body image-obsessed culture and at the same time delivers a tender and moving depiction of a lovably difficult young woman whose life is hijacked by her struggle to conform. I'm really excited to present my guest, Serena Nongia. Serena Nongia, she, her is a body activist and longtime advocate for eating disorder recovery. Serena has spent close to a decade building expertise on the way body image, media, and eating disorders affect people's daily lives, as well as how fat phobia and weight stigma create issues of access and discrimination systematically and interpersonally. Serena is a self-identifying fat person and knows firsthand the difficulties that underrepresented folks face in getting access to treatment and equitable health care. In order to combat the fatphobic and archaic systems preventing folks from getting the care they need, she became deeply involved in the eating disorder community and actively works to elevate diverse voices of people of color and fat people. Serena's inspiration comes from her sister, Ellen, who struggled with an eating disorder for over a decade and is now in long-term recovery. What a story. Honestly, what a story. I really hope you enjoy this discussion with Serena Nangia about 13 Ways of Looking at a Fat Girl by Mona Awad. Hi, Serena. Welcome to Fat Girl Book Club.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited.
0: Me too. Me too. This is going to be so much fun and such a... Uh, I I can't even put an adjective on the on on the book we read 13 ways of looking at a fat girl by Mona Awad was intense uh so I can't wait to get into it I have so many questions like so many questions I didn't even send you so there's like so many there uh but let's start with a little bit about you so can you introduce yourself and talk a little bit about how you came into this work
1: yeah so um I was a young person in middle school high school experiencing body image issues and I've always been in a larger body than my peers. Um, I identify as fat now and that's very empowering for me and so I had joined a club in high school that was so luckily existed um, called Rebel where I started learning about body image issues and eating disorders and media awareness and all of these things and relating them to my own body image. And then I found out my senior year of high school that my younger sister had been struggling with an eating disorder. And I later found out that she'd been struggling on and off with it for 10 years um, by the point that we kind of got to the point where she was getting to recovery, which was the end of her high school. Um, She's three three years younger than me. So that was those two things of like being in a larger body and also my sister having an eating disorder um, really what were the catalysts for me joining the space. I learned first about that phobia. Probably a couple years later and that really resonated with me. It was like a word for everything I had been experiencing and didn't know how to put into words. So the systemic oppression of fat people and through, like, through systems, meaning through hiring and firing practices, through uh, schooling systems, the medical system, obviously, if anyone knows anything about BMI and how harmful that is, and just in general weight stigma, and finding a community that was like, yeah, I feel this way when I eat in public too, or I feel this way when like people are talking about dieting and and like bodies and exercising in a gym and like all these feelings and so that's when I started really upping my activism because I found my place in the world, so I currently. Work uh, on my day job. I work for a an eating sort of nonprofit that helps people get access to treatment um, who normally might not have access because of systemic barriers. But in my my side gigs and just in my life outside of that, but really just me as a person. I'm an activist, so I call myself a body activist. Um, I believe in fat liberation and body liberation. I I'm constantly in flux and learning and struggling with my own body image, but generally in a good place. And also learning how to take up space in a way that is not harmful to people who I think should be elevated in spaces that I want, want to also exist in. So that's me, I, I, also, I have three younger siblings. So Ellen, my younger sister who, do, who had struggled with an eating disorder is only one of them. I'm biracial but I'm white presenting. So that brings a lot of things with it. Um, my parents are immigrants, but they're immigrants from England. So that brings a lot of things with it. So yeah, it's um, things are complex and I have decided to just exist in this complexity of who I am rather than try to narrow it down.
0: <laughs> well, and, and the more I think, the more of this work that I've done Uh, the more intersectionality becomes a place of prominence and trying to understand my own intersections and where I fit, uh, as well as, like you say, being completely cognizant of the fact that there are other bodies around you with their own intersections and trying to kind of reconcile all that can be, it it can sometimes feel a little overwhelming. Like there's just a lot of work to do.
1: Well, to the point where I, I am, I started seeing a life coach because they're amazing. I've been in therapy for years. I mean, probably over, yeah, over a decade now I've been in therapy. But what I have found is that in wanting to elevate others and create space for others, I was also, I wasn't providing space for myself and holding space for myself. And that was really harmful because i want to like the reason that a lot of these things exist is like i'm i'm a small fat person so i have a lot more privilege and accessibility in life than people who are larger than me and then i also being white presenting just i haven't experienced really any racism though my dad did because he's brown it's really important to me to uplift voices that have not been heard as much before, but have been doing the work for years. And at the same time, recognize how impactful it is that I'm coming, like I'm coming after, the people who led the way for me are also people who in the past have been marginalized, but are like taking up their space. And everyone who I've talked to is like, you need to, yeah, like there's room for everyone, But sometimes in these spaces it doesn't
0: feel like that. Editor Jen here, just jumping in to say this is where I took out about 15 minutes worth of our conversation. Again, that can be found on Patreon. And we're going to jump back into it, getting into the book. The title of the book is 13 Ways of Looking at a Fat Girl. So what do you think are the different ways that the author is trying to show us uh, that people are looking at? Well, and that she is looking at her fatness, at her body.
1: There are 13 chapters. Yes. Okay. So each of the chapters is essentially centered around, like, I would say one side character and an issue that she's struggling with internally and with that side character. The first lesson is about Mel and just being best friends with someone who can understand what you're struggling with and how I think that's the first lesson. If you have someone, and it's not necessarily always a healthy relationship, but it can be very validating to be, to, to be friends with someone who is, has experienced your experiences and the way that they view Beth, the way that Mel views Beth is like in camaraderie we're in this together the second lesson is about i literally don't know what his name was because i wrote the character's name i wrote asshole um his name is asshole and i wrote that girl is ups- is sad and obsessed like people that's how people i would say that's probably the lesson that people see fat people as sad and they'll take what they can get um and then he then the asshole is surprised when she moves on to another person at the end of that that chapter which i loved because that felt like she still exists in the space, but she, like you're not the only person who exists but it anyways the lesson stands the third lesson was with china and like taking photos Being like, and also like in this dating space of dating someone online who she's not necessarily even too attracted to, but that he exists in a space where he wants to talk to her and damn, I've experienced that. Like I've done a lot of online dating. So I would say that lesson is very much about, that's a hard one. Do you have any questions?
0: Editor Jen here again, being annoying and jumping in. Sorry. Uh, the protagonist's name is Elizabeth, but she changes her name throughout the book. So she starts off as Lizzie. She moves into being called Beth. Then she's called Liz. So if you hear us reference Elizabeth, Lizzie, Beth, or Liz, you'll know we're talking about the protagonist, the main character. For me, what I got out of that was um, China. Who is her friend and is super thin? She Elizabeth Beth whatever she would say to China more than once. Uh, I haven't told him about my weight, and China would always brush it off or not answer. And for me, the the way of, I guess the quote unquote way of looking at a fat girl there was to ignore the fact that she's fat, yes. like to completely ignore it. The guy. I, yeah I don't know what his deal was that was I mean I guess it speaks to what you were talking about before though this feeling of unworthiness that 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 she had about herself so she was kind of willing to stay in a relationship that was completely unrealistic
1: right and I don't think and, and for people who haven't read it she is in an online relationship with a man who's quad, quadriplegic and like and I think that basis is doesn't really say anything like I think people can very much be in really positive loving relationships with people who are paralyzed but I think what when it comes to is like she doesn't actually like he's first of all something like 40 years old and like doesn't live in her town and she's not really all that attracted to him and also I don't even know if she's seen like how he looks really like that she seemed like an old picture of him, and it just adds all these like things of, yeah. But I would I would agree that China kind of ignores ignores it all and that's not validating. Um, but that's definitely what a lot of thin people or people in fat people's lives might try to do. Um,
0: so true. Because they're
1: uncomfortable. <laughs> And also like to a degree, like fat people are normal. So, but when you're having, like it's not validating like the conversations with Mel.
0: Exactly. Yes.
1: Fourth, the fourth lesson is with Archibald and it's about relationships and worth. And Archibald is the guy she was seeing and having sex with. She began questioning her own self-worth and started disassociating completely and quote didn't care that she was his mistress and per- perhaps felt that she deserved it so like feeling I think that lesson is like no he definitely was sexually attracted to her but they didn't have a very healthy relationship and she also didn't try and then like to try to develop a healthy relationship with him and kept going against like her initial gut feeling which honestly as a person in general but also as a fat person I think I don't know we're just taught not to like listen to it because we're wrong but the reality is if you're not attracted to someone you should like you don't have to I don't know the first sexual experience with Archibald felt a little non-consensual consensual
0: consensual. that was um I've actually heard a podcast interview where they talked about that particular episode so he goes down on her in a taxi cab and it it is pretty jarring when you're reading it you're like what the (laughs) or at least I was I was like what the uh
1: I think I've read a lot of uh smut and like romance books that have sex (laughs) in them and I'm very happy to say that publicly because like it's normal but um so I wasn't I wasn't jarred by the sexual act I was I, but I was definitely mm-hmm. jarred by like the non-consensual feeling of it and to the point where mm-hmm. like she didn't do anything to s- try to stop it necessarily but that doesn't mean it's consensual and she definitely wasn't enthusiastic about it and it was in a public place and it was like she had already rebuffed him so it's just like a lot of things That came together and she still accepted it as and it's like you don't have to do that but we're kind of she felt maybe that she was taking what she
0: could get and like Hmm. well it was so it was like the fact that he would tell her all the time that that he was unworthy of her and he was constantly kind of like showing affection for a body like for her body that Hadn't really received a lot of that. She began to look at herself differently until she found out he had a girlfriend, and then it kind of changed everything. Uh, The whole thing just felt so manipulative, and like he had coordinated the whole. Like he loved it. He loved that at the end, there's two women fighting over him. Like he just loved that situation, and it was almost like he had planned for that. It was was gross. gross.
1: And I think this relates very much to my life in that he represents a man who is willing to have sex with me, is willing to express attraction and sexuality and desire and all these things in a closed room, but Mm. won't exist in a space outside the house with me and I think to me his girl like the fact that he has a girlfriend who he goes out with publicly and is like represents what Beth wasn't to him um and so I think that's something that it's like deep-seated fat phobia people who don't date fat people in public but will have sex with them because they don't understand like fat people like we're taught that fat people aren't sexually attractive. We are taught that as fat people, and then also other people are taught that, but people are attracted to fat people. (laughs) Like it does happen even, but a lot of people don't want to show that and don't want to expose that part of themselves because for some reason, we're taught that that makes you lesser. Um, I have, been in many situations where someone will gladly have sex with me but will not take me on a date
0: it's not right and i think that she captured it well in this book i agree
1: lesson number five is with itsy bitsy which is her nickname for a thin person right who she adores you feel like taking this
0: it's a that was an interesting story for sure I, so this is her coworker who she absolutely hates, but the weird thing in this particular story was that she seemed to have, like she had all these names for all these women that she hated because they were thin and she felt like she wasn't, but at this part of the story, she's starting to lose weight. So she is only eating salads and, um, beginning to do some really disordered things like hiding when she eats and uh you know just trying not to be around people when she's eating and hating anybody who eats anything that she really wants to eat but doesn't think she can so uh I think what did I write down here I said that the way of looking at a fat girl here was that the itsy bitsy and the restaurant owner from across the street looked at her like she was sad because she was only eating salads and because she was like licking her plate clean. So they're looking at her like, I mean, I guess it's like this whole good fatty, bad fatty thing, right? Like she's she's being a good fatty, but they feel bad for her that she has to be in some ways.
1: Yeah. And, I, and I think Itsy Bitsy, this, char- this colloquial character, represents to her the thin woman who doesn't have to work for it
0: oh yes because that's what
1: Beth is constantly working towards I have tons of thin friends who quote-unquote eat whatever they want and they stay thin and part of all of that is like certain bodies are like meant to look a certain or be a certain way and and other bodies like mine will never be thin. And that's a whole topic that a lot of people will contest is like the thing about bodies is that they change. But if you allow yourself to not be in this like state of control, your body will end up at a place that is healthy and good for it. And
0: um, I think we can sold this lie as as people in fat bodies that if you get down to quote unquote a normal weight range that you will be able to eat like a normal in quotations person uh and i mean i've done a number of books on this show that have talked about the fact that even if you dieted down to a certain weight you and the person who is naturally at that weight could never eat the same things ever to stay the same weight it just, when your body is, is doing different things in order for it to maintain that weight loss. And if you don't, if you don't recognize that, then you're never going to be, you're never going to be able to do that. And I think that we get sold this lie that, you know, if we just do that, then we'll be able to, and we can't. And I think there's a lot of anger and resentment there for people who can eat, uh, just in a quote-unquote normal way if you are in a larger body and in diet culture.
1: And the interesting thing in my life is I found I generally eat what I want, like, intuitively, and I stop when I'm full and all these things. And, I mean, don't get me started on the way that six, my 600-pound life people are portrayed because they have eating disorders. Like I, and it's just like this feeling of like, fat people want to eat whatever they want and they don't wanna stop eating. And that's not true. A lot of fat people who are super fat like have dealt with eating disorders. It's a, it's a mental health issue. And if you just think that fat people are just like unrestrained, lazy, you miss a whole portion of people who have eating disorders, which is part of the reason why binge eating disorder, which is mo- more, most common in fat people, but fat people get all people, all sorts of eating disorders. But binge eating disorder was has only recently like in the last 10 years been recognized um, in the DSM five, which is used to like diagnose eating disorders. So anyway. It's a whole, I have many thoughts, but I also need to do more research on it before I talk on. You know, <laughs> you know those things. Story number six is about Trixie, who is the store clerk. Um, and it's about trying on clothes in general. I mean, let's be honest, as people in general, trying on clothes is a horrible experience and-
0: Such a shitty experience, um, yes. <laughs>
1: And then as a fat person is even worse, my only no on this is trying on clothes. Cause it was a short chapter, looks like.
0: It was, yeah. And so Trixie is the name of the sales lady and she was the one who, <laughs> it was almost like she would get people into clothes that were quote unquote too small. And then she would make all these, oh, I should get you a belt. Oh, I should get you cute boots. Oh, I should get a scarf around your neck. and. Elizabeth, Beth, Liz, whatever, um, said, why can't, I just want to just be able to just wear the dress. And the sales lady was like, well, if that's what you want, um, it was sort of like, she threw up her hands, like, well, you're never going to get that kind of a thing. Uh, but the interesting thing for me in that chapter was that was the first place that I began to recognize that maybe our protagonist is not the most reliable narrator. Like, she talks about how Trixie is saying all these things and all these things going on in Trixie's head. And I sort of thought, are all those things? Like, is Trixie really thinking, oh, you're just super fat and that's why you can't do these things? Like, is that really what's going on in her head? Or is that what Elizabeth is kind of pushing onto her? Like, I thought it was an interesting, for me, it was the first place where I sort of went, maybe our protagonist isn't as reliable as as I think I felt like she was up until that point.
1: Yeah. Yeah, she definitely projects. I mean, it's this experience of having experienced so much, whether she did or didn't, but like we can trust her, I think for most of this because like we've experienced it, like experiencing so much fat phobia and interpersonal relationships up until that point, we've like internalized it and internalized depression is, one of the ways that fat phobia shows up in fat people is that they start to believe these things. And so we start, like, instead of believing that they're, like, other people can have different views of us, and rather, we just are like, this is how they felt about it. This is how one person, this is how five people in my life have felt about this, and about me. And so other people are always going to feel that
0: way. And yeah, it's really harmful. I like that lens. I like I like putting that lens on it because it it the, the it makes more sense for me that way. Because I think to me, when I got to that story, it was sort of like all of a sudden I was like, maybe she's not being realistic, but you are right. Um, we face a lot of weight stigma in the world around us. And maybe Trixie was, maybe she wasn't thinking these things, but we've been in enough situations where we've seen these people say and do things that are exactly like what Beth is projecting onto Trixie that it could very well be what she's and and it doesn't really matter if it is or it isn't that's how Beth is internalizing it and that is what's causing you know her own stress her own anxiety and gotten her to the point where like you said she gets to a point where her eating if if not eating disorder category is definitely disordered eating for sure.
1: Yeah. What's the the next chapter? Yeah. It starts the disordered eating full force. So I would Mm. say the Trixie chapter is like that internalized, like,
0: yeah, I like,
1: we, we don't even know how other people are seeing us because we, we have already made a decision for them in our head. Yeah. Yeah. So the disordered eating really starts up and this is the chapter that introduces her mother more i wrote mother fish mom thick um (laughs) interestingly my mother uh, has a chronic illness and so this chapter did actually hit me especially near the end where like her mother was in general like i mean the first this was a longer chapter the begin the first part of the chapter is like her mom trying to like help her essentially like feel sexy and she just doesn't feel sexy no matter what she wears and she's already started losing like she's lost a lot of weight she's very strict in her diet in a disorder eating fashion where she like goes to restaurants doesn't eat and then only eats like four ounces of fish which is very much disordered eating like when these things start disrupting your life and you can't enjoy a meal with people that's starts to and then she like show her mom shows her off because her because she's thinner now um and her mom sees her as like more worthy of like finding someone who will date her and it's very strange because i didn't experience this i'm curious i mean my relationship with my parents is very interesting and they definitely impacted my body image but not in this way hmm. oh I guess I've never been thin I never like been close to thin I've never tried to lose weight so like this feeling of because I got introduced into this topic so early on I haven't engaged in diet culture like actively dieted I've never done that That's fantastic um, <laughs> well like it's just it's so abnormal for people and anyone um but so I guess I don't relate to this chapter as much
0: except for the fact that like her mom is sick and she starts worrying about her Mm. I I was I did live in a thin body for I don't know probably like about eight years or so uh very disordered was diagnosed with an eating disorder did a couple bodybuilding shows so I looked I didn't just, I wasn't just thin. I looked, uh, quote unquote, healthy, <laughs> right? Like I was in this story, the mom says, oh, show them your bicep. That was me. So, but my I, my mom would never have done that. Uh, my sister, on the other hand, maybe, not because she was kind of like this, where she would like dress me up, but more like, or even like trying to say that there was something wrong with my body before, but more more probably because of pride and I think in the culture that we live in this idea of transformational stories of being a before and an after is a very it's it's you know people go oh that's such an amazing accomplishment it's seen as something that should be rewarded and I and praised and that's kind of what happens to her here but in a way that's very objectifying that I sort of felt no to the patriarchy through the entire thing because I was just like we're only doing this because she's a woman and we can ask her to stand up and turn around so that we can talk about her beauty and you know how she's a sex object now uh, I think it's disgusting
1: <laughs> yeah and I don't know if who your audience is but I know that some people listening might be like what's so wrong about this mm-hmm. like progressing like before and after sort of thing. And the reason, the very the easiest reason to explain is that she's getting this body that is socially acceptable because she is engaging in extremely disordered eating, which is unhealthy, but she's being seen as healthy because she is smaller. Yes. So it's really dangerous because, I mean, I think most people who have lost weight with an eating disorder. I mean, I know a ton of fat people who lost weight with an eating disorder, and their doctors and their support systems encourage them to continue to lose weight at whatever means necessary, by whatever means necessary. And there are fat people who are malnutrition, like they, they don't have, a, they're like mind their brain is not working how it should like their body is not functioning even though they still exist in this fat body and I think that's an interesting concept and not one that I know too much about but that is surprising for a lot of people that a fat person can be experienced malnutrition and you're like your body goes into starvation mode like that's I mean obviously this is with restriction of food not all sorters are that way but that's definitely what Beth is experiencing, or Elizabeth at this point, I think she starts. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, the, I think that the name thing has a lot to do with this journey that she, she tries to see herself as like this elegant, because thinness is real connected to elegance in a lot of people's minds, and Elizabeth sounds a lot more elegant than like this childish fat person name like Beth which is not obviously not true, but it's just like the way that people view
0: names and things. I agree. And I don't think it's, it's wrong. And I feel like having been someone who has kind of gone through this cycle, uh, if I had a name where I could have changed my name, like my name is Jennifer. uh, So, you know, I normally do go by Jen, uh, but no like there's no way to I mean I guess you could make it Jenny but there's really not a lot of ways to change my name but I feel like when you go through that people often talk about how you're a different person you know even this whole before after thing is all like well that was you then now this is you now you're different and so I think it would definitely be um if if I don't I I totally could see somebody wanting to do that and it is an interesting, it's an interesting way for the author to be able to take us through her different phases within the book, just by changing her name. So it was kind of an interesting um, writing tool that she used there to move us through the, the action. But it was, sometimes you just sort of shook your head and went, what the? <laughs> well,
1: I got really confused at first, because I thought that the, it was like different characters each time, each, each chapter partially because I just didn't know how the book was. And then it makes a lot more sense now that I've read it all the way through. But yeah, my younger sister who had an eating disorder, I mean, along with like changing your name, being a part of like life in general, if you feel like you're in a new part of life, my Ellen was, is the name that she like went through, went by in high school. And then when she moved to college, she started going by L and she goes by that now. And she's not this not the same way as um as elizabeth who like if people called her beth she'd be really pissed but i definitely think it's normal and like also a lot of people who so my sister's in recovery now so maybe maybe that's part of it but a lot of like people try out new names in um Mm -hmm. treatment Mm -hmm. for eating disorders a lot of so trans people are eight times more likely to develop eating disorders so when they are in treatment or in these healing spaces which hopefully are healing and often treatment centers don't actually help in many ways but they'll try out different pronouns and that sort of thing so it's like a totally normal thing to be in the space of either right I see like going farther into your eating disorder as like kind of getting away from yourself um, and going towards something that you believe other people want um, and the society wants. And then I see recovery or healing in whatever way that is as coming back to yourself. I've never experienced an eating disorder, but I think in times of transition, it's often like going away from yourself
0: and coming back. Yeah, there's definitely something to that, I think. And I was never in an actual, uh, like I was diagnosed. Maybe if I had been able to do something like that, maybe I would have looked at it as a new transition for me, Um, but I didn't. So, and that's, I kind of regret that now. I I regret some of the decisions that I made at that point in my life, but it is what it is. I'm here now.
1: (laughs) Right. Well, and also like if you were at a place where your brain was in starvation mode, your cognitive thinking is actually affected. So mm. that's why it's for, for people who um who are struggling with an eating disorder that made them lose weight and they get to a point where their brain is n- like their brain doesn't have fuel. So it actually gets to the point where it's actually really hard for people to care, Mm -hmm. like that they are dying. I mean, it's like a slow form of death if you continue down that road, you know? I work, you know, I've heard a story about like someone, I mean, treatment centers do help people who are struggling like regain weight because it's like a certain level of weight is necessary to like function in life and have your period and like for people who have periods and then also like just to think in general. So um, there have been like people who have said you're going to get fat if you go to eating sore treatment. That's a lot to unpack and I don't really think we have enough time to unpack it but it's just like first of all what's wrong with being fat second of all what is your definition of fatness like and third of all would you prefer that this person stay like this this was a huge chapter that was like very much a switch um the next chapter which was also short so I guess right that I think the mother's idea of sex I think that's like of you I think that's a way of parents not necessarily all parents but just like or like the reinforcement of losing weight
0: maybe mm-hmm. yes yeah I agree I agree and I do think uh, yeah we, we probably need to move on you're probably right we're spending a lot of time in this particular <laughs> story but I think it was a turning point too um but uh in a sense her daughter's body becomes A social currency, and I think I have seen this a lot uh, in my travels, in my time, that uh, when somebody loses a lot of weight, it does become a social currency to be. And I know for me, when I did those bodybuilding shows, for me that was a, a way to be out into the world and create that kind of identity. You know, I'm the girl who's lost a lot of weight. I'm the girl who has done two bodybuilding shows. I'm the girl who looks the way i do i'm the girl who works out all the time like it's a way to take on that identity and her mother kind of and i don't think it, it's just you know narrowing to parents it's, it's friends it's a, people that are in that person's kind of circle that can use her body as a social currency with other people
1: and it all goes back to the fact that society views thin people as more valuable than fat Yes. People. yes that's the lesson fit for you
0: oh yeah
1: Oh um, my! this was a very short chapter and it's she goes to the dry cleaner and to pick up her mother's dress who and her mother has just passed away or and so I didn't realize how close of a relationship she had with her mother until this chapter I think because she was so impacted by her death and I believe that Because in the following chapters she goes deep into her eating disorder. I think she had an eating disorder. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I am not a clinician, but I've been around enough people to know what she wasn't diagnosed like she didn't go to get help, but when it starts really like impacting your entire life. I think it's developed into an eating disorder. I mean, there are like technical things that anyway. Her mother dying I think was the trauma that flipped the switch and a lot of people who have eating disorders have some sort of trauma that not necessarily might have flipped a switch but just like was like encouraged because essentially what trauma is is something you can't control and the impact of trauma is often something you can't control and so in order to counteract that feeling of lack of control, one thing a lot of people go to is I can control my food.
0: Hmm.
1: And that's often, that's a lot of how eating disorders start. So I'd say this lesson,
0: what do you think? I think for me, the way I was looking at it was in this case, when we talk about a fat girl, I think For me, I'm looking at it at Elizabeth looking at her mother and she, because she had all those flashbacks of her mom buying this type of a dress and jazzing it up and uh, then getting it fixed because she doesn't want to have to go shopping again and because it's such a trial to find something. And so like this discomfort in her skin, um, which I think we see throughout the book with Elizabeth herself, but I think that is the way of looking at a fat girl that's being kind of propped up to us that that was my take on it
1: I think that makes complete sense and it also just kind of brings up the role that parents or guardians play because if a parent or guardian is constantly talking about their body and how they don't who was I listening to this about I was listening to someone talk about this of like specifically oh yeah it was anyways it was specifically if you're genetically related to someone and you're 50% of them and they're getting down on themselves and believing like their fatness and their body is not worthy and you're 50% of them like how can you feel worthy yeah. when your own parent feels this way about themselves and even if they might not feel that way about you it just like comes across that way yeah. Um, yeah. which is definitely something I experienced um, but has gotten better over the years and now we enter the The next story. was
0: probably my most triggering
1: This was not triggering to me because I haven't had an eating disorder um but definitely understand that it was triggering Um,
0: I think it was the the way that they were so the the story is called she'll do anything right I'm on the right one yeah and you, it starts with these three guys sitting around having beers. And the one guy's talking about having sex with a fat girl, like complete fetishization. Okay. It's just, it's a disgusting conversation. Uh, the other guy talked like with complete shame that he had sex with a fat girl. And our protagonist's husband is sitting there in the group. And they're kind of jabbing him that he used to have sex with a fat girl. And that, that conversation was awful. Uh, And then we get into, you know, Tom coming home to the protagonist being, well, I mean, I I there were so many behaviors that Elizabeth did that I, I did. So there were so many things in that conversation. Like she was cutting up vegetables and she was barely eating and she was, chewing gum and she was and she was like uh cold all the time and she's wearing too tight clothes because she's kind of trying to understand what's happening with her body and she's obviously like she got really upset and started crying for something that really wasn't like he he thought something she'd cut up was a particular fruit and it wasn't like it just out there kind of stuff uh and then they go to a barbecue and i i mean and then she finds out that tom that tom has been watching fat what do you even call it it's it's porn, porn it's but porn with
1: with fat women made with fat women. yeah and as i don't know if people know but like porn made with fat women is usually
0: fetishizing fat women rather than them just um, existing in a fat body and having sex. Um, it but, felt so gross. It just, like, yeah. every, like, everything in that story felt like we were objectifying fat and that it was so bad to be fat. Even, even with Tom, feeling sexually aroused by fat women it felt like it was not, like it was something for him to be ashamed of. And I, yeah, that story was really hard to read for me.
1: I honestly, I kind of didn't experience it in the same way. Um, I definitely, you know, intellectually completely understand that experience. Um, and it's probably just the place that I met in life of like not having fully processed any sort of, fetishization I've experienced but to me and these these lessons could have existed side by side to me it was mostly from Tom's point of view and it was very much him like kind of still like grieving the woman who he knew before her eating disorder in general and that is represented by a fat woman because that's who Elizabeth was before her eating disorder And I think maybe the reason I come at it from this perspective is I identify very much with Tom in that, my like I I lived in a household with someone who had an eating disorder and the walking on eggshells around someone, not feeling comfortable eating around them, like not knowing what to say, people blow up, they blow up in your face because they're starving and like their brain isn't working. Um, And, like not knowing if you can even have a conversation with them about it. Um, and just in general feeling really like useless um, as someone who lives in a house with, with someone who has an eating disorder. And he, the way that he copes is not the best way but we all don't cope in, you know, the ways that we look <laughs> back on him it's like wow that could have done that better he blows up on, in and on, like they have fights um they like he goes and just he's hungry and he wants to eat something that she's like not making and push he refuses her to like make a grilled cheese sandwich she offers multiple times and he's like no 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 but then once they fight he like leaves to go get food and it's imagine it's because he just didn't want to eat in front of her because he knows like how much that shuts down, shuts her down. I underline many things, but oh, I guess she, and he refers to her as Beth because he still sees her as Beth and he like loves Beth and he wants her to be okay. And um, he's slowly seeing like her thinness is affecting
0: him. Um. So I, my question for you with Tom is, and i i I love how you're changing my perspective a little bit on him uh but do you think he is a likable character did you like him as a character in this book like i
1: think it was empathy
0: you know i think i very
1: much saw him as like my dad um who helped my sister through this entire thing of like i don't know what happened we're I still think, I still think Elizabeth is telling the story. And so in some ways it feels like she also might be distorting what's happening, but, and this is related to like my story, because I've, you listened to my podcast episode with my sister and my parents listened to it and they said that they experienced it differently. Like something different happened um, in certain oh. situations. And so it's really this thing of like, everybody's experiencing different realities, um, even if they're experiencing the exact same thing together. So um, I think Tom is in the space of grief. He is really, doesn't know what to do. Like, I don't dislike him. I think the whole situation with his friends was definitely disgusting. But interestingly, like as the story went on, the fat woman that that guy was dating or it was like having sex with, he starts dating and like, he's, she's just now like, I mean, it's definitely still fetishized. Like, let me see her. Let me like, what does she look like? But to me, the fat woman represents to Tom, the woman that he fell in love with. Mm -hmm. And so with that, I give him a lot of grace because all these things that he's feeling and doing are a result of not feeling connected to his wife that's
0: how i right it. right right and it is interesting because like you said he fell in love with her when she had a different body but from the sounds of even like even us as readers can tell that as we've moved through this story with this elizabeth lizzie beth character She has changed a lot, but in terms of her body, she's never felt comfortable in her skin. Uh, And it doesn't matter if we're talking about when she was in high school and in a fat body or when she's lost a bunch of weight and would be considered thin. Uh, She's not, she just doesn't feel good in her own skin. So I sort of feel like, and I guess this is the way I was viewing Tom was that he never really, he never really loved somebody that was happy with themselves like at all and the world we have around us tells us that the way to make yourself happy is to be thin so she wasn't doing she was playing her part and the fact that he misses who she was is sort of like yeah but she wasn't happy then either so like and and it's not fair of me to think that way because uh she never did find happiness like I think at the end and we'll talk about that um I'm not sure she comes to that place so I don't know I think I'm 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 not being fair to him and I like your perspective so (laughs) I think it's interesting
1: because you come up from the perspective of Elizabeth who is experiencing the eating disorder cuz that's what your experience has been and my experience yes. has been living with someone with an eating disorder which is really cool that we yeah. can have this conversation and see it from that perspective
0: um, we'll pull that out of this same book yeah. <laughs>
1: Whereas like like you felt like really uncomfortable with it in general i felt
0: validated and like yeah, that is really interesting that we're pulling yeah. those different things and, out of there. And you know what's interesting
1: it. is like at, at this point, like I said, I've never been thin. So I don't at all identify with Elizabeth for the rest of the book. Um,
0: yeah. well, and the the other interesting thing about at this point, so that the once we get into these next couple of stories, we don't really know where she sits. Like she's she's clearly not um. I don't know. She's clearly not as fat as she was at the beginning of the book, but she's also started to move away from her eating disorder. Uh, so you know, I mean, in, at this point, and I, and I heard an interview with the author where she talks about how she specifically made sure that she was trying not to mention weights, or she does mention a size at one point, but she avoids sizes. She avoids those kinds of things. So it's kind of interesting, you know, and us as readers are supposed to project that onto her, which being in this realm of body liberation, uh, we've grappled with this question for a very long time. You know, what, what makes a person fat? Where is that line? You know, what is, you know, um, why should we start using certain words that they're using? So it's, it's interesting that um, Mona Awad is forcing other people to do the same thing. Yeah.
1: Well, and there are a lot of very nuanced expressions where you can tell and this leads to many lessons in the next couple of chapters of like there's clearly body dysmorphia happening because what she's experiencing versus what she feels um specifically like with her starting to try on this stress and like going back every time and like it not really changing like she feels like she's Getting thinner or like wants to be getting thinner and all this stuff it's like there it starts to get confusing as the reader because you're like you are like our brains want to categorize and like figure out where she's at and she doesn't the thing is she doesn't even know because her brain is tricking her and that's what like definitely Mona Watt's like it's very
0: good writing very interesting. It is. it is. It is. Uh, so let's let's move to the next story, which was a really quick one too. It's another sales lady with a dress, the Von Furstenberg. Yeah. I know nothing about fashion, so I've no idea this design.
1: <laughs> See uh that designer is kind of like one of the heads of the fashion industry and has been told off for, and has changed, but has been told off for like not being size inclusive. Ah, okay.
0: Well, she struggles to put on this dress, rips it when she puts it on. I don't know. Did you want to say anything about that story really?
1: It was just another, it was just another story. I mean, there was a significance to it that we kind of just discussed
0: of like, she doesn't know what her body looks like really. Yes, I agree. Uh, And then we get to a story that I think is a turning point. Uh, This is Caribbean therapy where she meets Cassie. Uh, So she makes this appointment at the spa every single week to go see this person who does her nails, who does like a manicure Uh, and this woman is fat. And so she has all these types of thoughts and feelings around this woman. Um, And this woman is happy. And she can't seem to get over that. And at one point she pisses her off to the point where she like asks her the questions and pisses her off and can't get an appointment with her anymore. So what were kind of your thoughts around that story?
1: By the end of the chapter, I realized that Cassie represents her mother. I feel like. Cassie represents a fat woman who she had a close relationship with and who she was always I don't know if she was trying to please her but there was some sort of relationship where she wanted to prove that she was happy because she kept lying constantly about the baking about what she was doing on the weekends about her husband and to like one up or like to stay be on the same level as cassie who's just existing in her authentic self um, and is happy in a fat body and to me like her eating disorder had definitely started to like wane a little bit she wasn't practicing as many behaviors and then i do think i do think that she starts to find like a little bit of peace in that she could exist in this body and like not try as hard and not engage in any sort of behavior, but I think it. I think it doesn't really do that. I think,
0: and I feel like you might have experienced it differently. Mm. I think for me, this was the moment that she began to resent everything she had done to get herself there. She began to realize that the thinness that she had obtained is not going to get her happy. And uh, I don't know if at this point she recognizes that you can be fat and happy. I'm not sure that she, she would put those things together. She just feels angry that there's this person who is fat and happy uh, and she, she's thin and can't be happy. Uh, And I think, I mean, at the end we find out that she has decided to divorce Tom and has moved in with another one of her coworkers, who she said she hated. Um, (laughs) And I thought that for me, it felt like a big turning point. It felt like this is where we're turning the road uh, from an eating disorder into like becoming more self-aware that she's not in a good place about her body. I definitely
1: think there was some more self-awareness I think the last chapter like she's still in her eating disorder and I think it's exercise compulsion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this was a very impactful one because she does become self-aware like but she doesn't also doesn't change necessarily her oh, behavior.
0: I totally agree with that. I think she's scared shitless um, and I think that the next chapter, so the next chapter is another trying on clothes in a change room chapter and she's at additionelle, and she's trying on this dress that she thinks should be so big on her and is not and that scares the shit out of her Uh, and I I experienced moments like that uh and so I I felt her pain in that moment but I think as a reader we're kind of like oh look she's like had this turning point She's maybe realizing that things aren't so great in her life. She's going to divorce Tom. Things are going to be wonderful. And then she's in this change room and she's like so upset that she's not as, she hasn't come as far as she thinks she did. Uh, You know, and then that moves us into the last chapter where we still go, no, she's still fucked up. Like there's so
1: much going on. It almost that changing room experience where she's like, oh, I'm Still fat or like I'm still somewhat fat like almost triggers a relapse or like a deepening of her eating disorder but in a way that is she's eating Mm -hmm. but not a lot and she's exercising in a way that is very much punish
0: oriented Mm -hmm. okay so yeah let's talk about that last chapter and, and this is where we really do I mean we had talked a little bit about her or she had talked a little bit about her exercise in the chapter with her mother, where her mother was like dressing her up in clothes. Her mother would go off about the dancing she does and the walking she does and the amount of time she spends at the gym. So we were aware that she was working out in order to lose weight. But the last chapter, like you said, there were some more disordered behaviors there.
1: She is um, participating in like compensatory exercise, which means exercise specifically meant to make up, quote unquote, for what she is eating. And it's not like a very good way to have a relationship with exercise. Movement is super important, um, but it, in my opinion, should be hopefully joyful. Yeah, I wrote to in that in that um, changing room, realizing how close to fat she is, and maybe it's just in her mind. But also, like, yeah. So she gets into this. She is having a very interesting interaction with this person with two people on either side of her time slot at the gym who are both extremely sick, in my opinion, um, to the point where they can't stop themselves. And they get really annoyed when they miss one minute of their exercise. And just being surrounded by that was not helpful for her, I imagine. And then she gets to the point where she's like, I'm not losing weight anymore. I'm just doing what am I doing this for what and it's like exercise doesn't need to be for weight loss but like it always had been for her she had kept losing weight yeah so I think she still has a very compensatory mindset and then eventually she just is like I'm not I'm done with this and she stops exercising and that is like one of the most healthy things she's she's ever done for herself because exercise is great but she wasn't exercising
0: in a healthy way Mm -hmm. I've definitely been there. You know what, the more we talk about this, the more I realize that the reason why this book was so triggering for me is that because I experienced so many of these things in my own eating disorder, um, including the overexercising, that was my, uh, I was diagnosed with atypical bulimia and uh, I wouldn't purge in the way we typically think of with a bulimic. Uh, I would overexercise, so I would be doing copious amounts of exercise every day. Uh, so I think that's why this book was so triggering for. I mean, there was other things obviously, but that was yeah. one of the major components of my trigger was <laughs> that it just hit so close to home. Uh, and and I think it's interesting because she meets these people, like you said, she meets the woman who has the time slot in front of her, who is like a maniac, like works out super intensely every single day, gets mad if she doesn't if it makes no difference to her whether or not Elizabeth shows up, but she gets mad if she doesn't show up. She's really intense about working out. And then the person who comes after her, who she, she describes as anorexic. And as she's working out, she begins to look around and realize that nobody, nobody's body has changed. So she's looking at exercise in this way that it's like, it's only for results. Uh, And so, you know, then she starts to become a little disillusioned. Like, what am I doing this for? Uh, But at the same time, she can't really help herself. Like you said, she can't really help herself. And she doesn't really know what to do with herself either. Like, I think even when we get to the end, there's a couple of metaphors right there at the end. Uh, The girl cycling on the treadmill alone in the gym when the fire alarm goes off. Uh, She talks about the lake that's close to where she lives. That's like beautiful to look at, but dead underneath because it's all like it was man-made and there's nothing underneath it. Um, And it makes you feel a little empty at the end uh, when she kind of gives off those metaphors, or at least for me it did. Yeah,
1: definitely. And I had a feeling that this story wouldn't have a resolution, but I was really hoping it would. Um, It doesn't, there's no resolution. I think she does move back home uh, or she's like in her hometown and she's like, starts engaging with her, dad, with her dad and with Mel again a little bit and starts eating quote unquote foods that she thinks that she should avoid and like starts being less obsessive about exercise and food. Um, and you can tell that there is definitely a shift of like, she's allowing herself this for whatever reason. And the role and for me, this shows not only, like, the role of family, of, like, being with family, that sometimes family can be helpful in recovery, but also the role in seeing yourself and others and, and, and seeing other people's stories, people who have been there, who are there with you, and how you can see that someone else is so sick, but you can't see that you're, you are sick. Um, Because that's just like how we are as humans. Sometimes it's hard to be self-aware. And those things, she's definitely on the path to recovery. And she's having these metaphors of like, I look this way on the outside of like, quote unquote, like almost made it to like, whatever I am then now, and um, I'm doing everything I'm quote unquote supposed to do. And I feel empty inside and I don't feel happy. And Cassie is happy and she's fat. And like, and my dad is happy and he eats whatever he wants, like, think you know. And it's a really sad ending, honestly, cause it's, but it also leaves so much room for hope, but doesn't really leave it at a place where you feel very hopeful for her.
0: Well, I think being in these spaces in particular, when we see that end, Uh, or at least for me, when I saw that end, I was like, okay, what I think is going to happen is that she is going to stop doing any of the health activities, quote unquote, health activities, disordered eating activities she was doing, and she will regain the weight. Where she goes from there is her choice, whether she falls back into an eating disorder and disordered eating because she feels her body is not worthy enough because she's not getting enough messages, you know, coming at her that it's okay to be in the body she's in, or she turns towards body acceptance and body liberation and, you know, finds people on, I mean, I don't think, I never got the feeling that this book was set in a time period. I I know it was written in 2017, but I never really felt like social media was like a thing. So, you know, but, but hopefully that she would find a community to be able to support her. But I I felt like it was left so open that it was like, no idea. Like, she's miserable. I I know she's miserable at the end of the book. And I have no idea where she's going to go from here. I know where I went. But that doesn't mean that anybody else goes the same direction, right? So, yeah, it was a bummer.
1: (laughs) I imagine imagine the author did that on purpose because... Absolutely. (laughs) Obviously, they're a great author and also...
0: This was a very literary, serious read, Mad.
1: <laughs> it was. And, and it didn't feel like it was going to be. Like, the cover doesn't look like it's going to be. It looks like it's going to be like a chill book. Like, how the yeah. people, it's very much not direct. <laughs> it's not, like, no. it's not 13 ways of looking at a fat girl. Here are the reasons. That's why I couldn't list them at the beginning because yeah. everything is so complicated and like, and that's what makes it so great. It's like yeah. we exist in like, this complexity and then we talk for two hours
0: about it. And that, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So um, I guess what I'm gonna ask you next is, let's say you have a friend who reads that book, likes it, uh, but kind of needs more about, you know, about any of the themes that were in that book. Which book would you recommend that they read next? I
1: think it depends on which lessons really they enjoy learning about. No, there's not, there, there is not another book that is very similar to this in a way that I can easily recommend a book that is like truly authentic and vulnerable. I really love autobiographies because of that reason and it felt completely like an autobiography to me. I have a whole list of books like that I haven't read yet that I want to read which most of them were on your list that you sent me but like Hunger by Roxane Gay is probably something that would go well. Um, if you really identify with like the systemic factors that are impacting fat people, like, um, and want to know a little bit more of the history and how these things happen in, in life, um, and why these feelings exist within us, "Fearing the Black Body" by Dr. Sabrina Strings, um, a new one, "Belly of the Beast," it's like something about like how anti-racism or anti-blackness as anti-fatness. Um, and that's by Deshaun Harrison. Gosh, there are so many, but that's a really good place to start. Those are the, those are the books on my list
0: right now. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, I, uh, that's why my podcast can exist because there's so many fantastic titles out there that people need to be reading. So I totally agree. Uh, can you tell the listeners where they can find you and what kind of things you've got going on right now?
1: Yeah, um I'm definitely focusing on my day job, but you guys can find me at um, on Instagram and Facebook at the Body Activists and my website, thebodyactivists.com. I do speaking gigs and chat and do workshops on fat phobia and uh, weight stigma and do a lot of work on my day job about eating disorders and equity. So I'm really happy to engage. And if you are looking for a speaker or, any, or want to learn more, um, not only am I available, and, um, I know many other people who are amazing. Very cool.
0: And, and you do have a
1: podcast, right? I do. I need, um, I'm working on my second season. I don't know when it's going to premiere because podcasts take a lot of time. Um, but it's called the Body Activism Podcast. It's everywhere where podcasts can be listened to. Um, And I'm on Instagram and Facebook at the Body Activism Podcast.
0: Perfect. Okay, if you're listening and you're interested in any of the things that she just mentioned, they'll all be in the show notes. So just scroll down and click. It will all be there for you. Uh, I want to thank you so much for coming on to Fat Girl Book Club. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me, Jen.
0: I think I told you at the beginning that Serena and I had really different ways of looking at this book. And I, I think you can agree that we, we did. I mean, there were some things obviously we agreed upon, but we definitely had differing thoughts around, especially Tom, what the husband, uh, thought about his wife's body. So I think it's, it's really interesting. And I, this is why I love talking about books is because nobody's perspective is wrong And it gives us such insights, not just into the book, but into the people that we're talking to when we begin to understand their perspective. Anyway, I I hope that that made sense to you. I hope you enjoyed it. Please do connect with me on Instagram at Fat Girl Book Club Pod. Also, I have changed my email address. This is one of these things that I'm doing, like I was talking about at the beginning, trying to to do my own self-care here. Uh, and so I have changed my email address. Uh, it is no longer what it used to be. Uh, and it, so if you're somebody who's had my email address, make sure that you change it. If you never had my email address, but you'd like to send me an email, I am so game for that. I love hearing from listeners of the podcast. And if you're a listener of the podcast and you've thought, I'd love to get on there to talk about a book, like I've got a good one just shoot me an email. I'd love to start chatting. My email, my new email address is in the show notes below. All right, guys, I hope you have a fantastic day wherever you are and keep reading everyone.